Is it on? It is on. Good morning, church. I know you're probably thinking Pastor Craig looks different. Um, that would be because I'm not Pastor Craig. Uh, my name is Josiah Cruz. Uh, I am from Thousand Oaks, California. I drove in this morning to be with you guys. A um, little bit about myself. Uh, I am familiar with you guys through your worship director, uh, Connor Pfaff. He's the most amazing guy. I've told everyone here this morning, if you haven't gone on uh, lunch with Connor, you need to take him out because he's humble, he loves God with all his heart, um, and he's really good at worship. So uh, that is how I became familiar with you guys. Uh, and then a, f- a little while ago, uh, I got a text asking if I'd be interested to come down and, and be with you guys this morning. And of course, I said yes, but then I realized I have to ask my boss uh, because I also work at a church, and if you didn't know, Sundays are a big day. Um, so, so I asked my head pastor, I said, hey, are you cool if I uh, move some things around and go down there to be with them Sunday morning? He said, of course. Um, and so I am here. I am so, so honored and privileged to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we're going to be reading straight from God's Word, which I hear is something you guys do frequently, so praise God. Uh, and it'll be Psalm 51 that we're reading out of. But before we get there, I uh, just want to let you know a little bit about myself. Uh, so I was born and raised in Bakersfield, California. I don't know how many of you are familiar. Uh, they call it the armpit of California. So that's where I was born and raised, uh, and I loved it. And uh, then I got to move out to Thousand Oaks after high school, and I've been there ever since. Um, And then I met Connor at Hume Lake. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hume Lake, but uh, they do an amazing, amazing work up there uh, showing the gospel to kids in a way that um, is understandable to them. Uh, So I got to meet Connor up there, and we've been friends uh, since then. So he he texted me and asked if I'd be down to do this, and of course, I love doing this. And I want to say to you, Taft Avenue Community Church, that from what I've seen this morning, that God is on the move, that he's doing something really special here in this church, in his church. Um, and I want you guys to be encouraged by that, because uh, intergenerational churches really are not common anymore. It seems that it's always one way or the other, but what I'm seeing is the young people start to come into this church and for you folks that are how we say seasoned, we don't say old, um, for the seasoned folks in here, um, please, my prayer is that you would find these young people and mentor them because we need it. We need people that are pouring wisdom into our life, um, and we appreciate that so much. So be encouraged. Uh, God is doing something special here uh, in your church. So uh, I want to pray over the message. Uh, God is going to speak to us. If you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 51. It's where we're going to be reading today, um, and we are going to ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, would you guide us through your word this morning? Would you speak to us? Would you allow your spirit to show us things, to illuminate the truth to us? And would we walk out of this building changed by the words that you have spoken to us? We trust you. We love you. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said Amen. Okay, so uh, I, as you can tell, I don't have a lot of notes because the Word's going to speak for itself. God's Word is, is enough, but I, I do want to give some uh, backstory into uh, this chapter. Now, a lot of people read, and, and many of you that are steeped in Scripture, you've, you've read Psalm 51 probably many times in your life. I, I don't want this to be something where we read it as a, a, a forgiveness prayer, or David just seeking out forgiveness from God. Because I believe that this chapter is so much more than just that. The title of it uh, in the ESV is, Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
And the reason that I think that is significant is because David is not just seeking forgiveness. He's seeking God to change him. He's seeking God to restore God's goodness in him. Now, when Pastor Craig uh, told me that we were going to be going through the Psalms, uh, he asked me which one I wanted to do. And many of you are probably like, why did you choose Psalm 51? That's a heavy topic. That's a heavy chapter uh, to talk about on a Sunday. And the reason I chose Psalm 51 is because it's very near and dear to my heart. Because when I was stuck in my deepest and darkest moments in life, it was Psalm 51 that I read and was changed. It was Psalm 51 that I read and God showed me that there is a God that not only loves me and is merciful towards me, but that he can and will create a clean heart in me. And I think when you're stuck in a a season of darkness and sin, you can forget and, and be consumed by the fact that there is a God that is desiring to purify and cleanse us. But a lot of the times we read this chapter so surface level as if it's just David asking for forgiveness. David is seeking so much more than forgiveness. So uh, if you're wondering why I don't have an actual Bible, um, I gave it to a student. Um, I'm our youth pastor over at our church in Thousand Oaks, um, and he didn't have a Bible, and the only one I had on me was my ESV Bible, which I heard you guys read out of, Uh, so I will be reading from my phone. I know most people do not appreciate technology anymore. I get it. Technology is the worst, Um, but it is going to allow me to read the ESV version of the Bible, so uh, that's good news. So uh, if you have your Bibles open, I want to start in verse 1. It says this, have mercy on me. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. I want to stop. I know it's just two verses in, but this is important to understand where David is coming from. I know you guys have probably read uh, the story in in 2 Samuel chapter 12 when Nathan confronts David with his sin. But this is important to recognize what David is doing here. Because David is approaching God in this time when he's overwhelmed and grieving the sin that has gone on in his life. And the first thing he does is he acknowledges the character of God. He doesn't start by saying, oh God, please forgive me. He doesn't say, God, I need forgiveness. He says, no, have mercy on me according to your steadfast love and abundant mercy. And now, Something that I think is so important about this chapter for us as believers is 1 John chapter 1 says that if we are to say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So what I know is that every single person in here has sin in their life, which means that we need to know and understand what God's word says about approaching God with our sin. David approaches God, a man after... God's own heart, mind you, approaches God, not saying, hey, this is where I messed up. He says, God, have mercy on me according to your love and mercy. And this is so important when we talk about repentance, when we talk about seeking God uh, to create a new heart in us, we have to acknowledge that without that love and mercy, there is no forgiveness. Without that love and mercy, there is no cross. There is no nothing without God's love and mercy towards us. And I think a lot of the times we love to look at the actions of God, including myself. I mean, I was raised and I would always pray this prayer, thank you so much for the cross. Thank you for what happened at the cross. But rarely did I ever pray, thank you 
for your love and your mercy, sending your son to die on the cross. I think we worship the things that God does. We worship the things that God can provide, but rarely do we worship the God who provides them. And I think when we look at David's prayer here, the first thing he acknowledges is, God, you're so loving and so merciful. Now, I want to I address that first because this is important as we go further in the chapter. David starts by acknowledging the character of God. Now he goes on in verse 3 and he says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Now David quickly transitions from God, you are merciful, you are loving, you are good. And he goes to, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you only you have I sinned. David is now acknowledging you are good and I am not. Right? You are merciful and loving and perfect. I am not. When he says, my sin is ever before me, uh, the NLT says, my sin haunts me day and night. Now, I know that as times go on, things change. But something that I've seen trending in Christian churches is the devalue of our sin, of, of, of how heavy our sin really is. People are starting to wipe it under the rug. I heard a, a pastor say, you know, the, the closer I grow uh, in my walk with the Lord, the more I'm able to just dust off my knees and keep going when I sin. And I remember listening to that and just stopping in my tracks and thinking, is that, is that how it's supposed to be? As we grow closer to Christ, as we're promised transformation in the Holy Spirit, as we're promised to be more like Him, is it that we can just brush off sin and keep going? Because I know we're forgiven. I know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But does that mean the weight and the value, uh, uh, the, the weight of sin in our life just goes away? And I think what we read here is, if you, if you look at 2 Samuel 12, as soon as Nathan confronts David, Nathan tells David, God has forgotten your sin. God wiped his sin away, but, but David still is saying, my sin haunts me day and night. Why? Because he's grieving his sin. There is a godly grieving that is going on in David's life. Now, this is where I think for believers, this is so important for us. Because whether you're 65 years old and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time or whether you're 20 years old or 10 years old and you've been walking with the Lord for very little time it's important to every single step of life every single believer that we know the weight of our sin because what David is pinning the sin out to be is it's something that won't leave him alone and it's haunting him and so when I hear people say that I can just brush my sin under the rug and keep going I'm confused because it's a contradiction to what David and what we see so many Old Testament people in the Bible react to their sin. In the Old Testament, when Ezra found out the sin of his people, what did he do? He ripped out his own hair and he fasted. He fell to the ground and couldn't eat or drink because he was overwhelmed by the weight of the sin of his people. Jeremiah beat his thigh. The, the tax collector, when he stood in the temple, beat his chest saying, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. So throughout the Bible, we're seeing all of these 
people react to the, the weight of their sin, and it's not anything that's light. Now, David knows he's forgiven, but he's still grieving the weight of his sin. And I think especially as times go on and as the world starts to shift one way and tell you one thing, as the church, we cannot drift away from letting people know and understanding that sin is sin. It's heavy. The wages of sin is what? Death. Last time I checked, death is not something that's pretty light and easy to just brush under the rug. Death is serious. And as a young boy in the church, when, when I heard people talk about sin, it just seemed like it was just an immoral issue. But to David, it's so much more. He says, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David is so aware of the fact that whatever comes his way, whatever he's done, he deserves. God is blameless in his judgment towards David. And David acknowledges, though I have messed up Bathsheba's life, though I've ruined Uriah's life, he's now dead, I have sinned against you and you alone, God. It is you that I have sinned against. I think sometimes we're, we're bothered more when we sin against other people than we do God. I mean, I've seen this around younger people, and I'm sure this is still the same uh, with older people as well, but when my friends mess up, when they do someone wrong, a lot of the times they're appalled. Their life falls apart when they've done their best friend in a bad way or done them in a wrong way. But then when they do something that is wrong in God's sight, when they've wronged God, oh, well, he's forgiven me. I'm okay. And they move right on. And when I watch these things unfold, I'm confused. I'm confused by it. Because again, the wage of sin is death. So if if this is something that's ravaging our life, how are we able to then just wipe it under? I know that I'm forgiven. David knew he was forgiven. David was aware of the fact that he was forgiven. But he still took the time to sit and grieve over the sin that he had committed. And I know this, this is a church that is steeped in Scripture, and you guys have probably read this chapter over and over again. And I'm not challenging you to understand repentance. I'm just challenging you to a place where you can evaluate yourself and reflect and ask the Holy Spirit, am I actually understanding of what sin is doing to my life? Am I actually understanding what it's done to my family? Am I understanding? Because let me tell you, if you know the weight of sin and you have a child or a friend or relative that is consumed by it, your urgency to, to preach the gospel to them, to get them involved in church is going to be much more. But if sin to you is just another thing you can swipe under the rug, then there is no urgency. And I think this is what it comes down to in the church is that there's no urgency. That we feel that sin is, is something that that will just come and go, that we can grieve our sin for a, a, a temporary period and then keep going. And this is the problem, I think, with the understanding of seeing God. I mean, we're, we're told, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think there's a lot of impure people that are living in their sin, and because of it, they're not able to clearly see God through the muck and the mire. Romans 6 says, I mean, if we've died to sin, how can we still live in it? 
how can we still live in sin when it's something that we have died to? And I think so many people are still living in the sin that Jesus has died for because they haven't brought it to God. This is the biggest problem is that we have not found a way to be honest with God and with ourselves and with our friends. So when David is, is making this cry to God, not even a prayer, it's a crying out to God. At the very end, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. David boils it down to, you delight in truth in the inward being. Now this is, I mean, if you look at the story of David, David got caught in some bad apples, right? He, he sinned, and not only did he sin, he sinned again trying to fix up his sin, right? It was just a, a repetitive cycle of, oh, I can fix it. Oh, I got worse. I can fix it. Oh, I got worse. I can fix it. And so David's in this cycle. Why? Because he's trying to uphold his position because what people think of him might change. His position might change. So this whole time, instead of bringing this thing to God and just saying, hey, God, I am so sorry. Have mercy on me. I messed up. David is like, I can fix it, right? If you're a guy in here, you know that uh, tendency whenever something's broken. I can fix it when it's clearly broken, right? It's broken. Don't fix it. No, I can do it. We have a guy at our church, we have canopies, and every week the canopy breaks, it feels like, and he's always like, hey, give me the piece, I'll fix it, and he does. Um, but, but David is sitting here saying, hey, I've got this, I can do it, and then what happens? It gets worse and worse, and we read the story about David, a man after God's own heart, but yet we don't see the potential for us to fall into that same category. We read it as though David is some mythical character that, oh, we would never do that. But how many times, I mean, even coming into this building this morning, have we fallen into a sin in our life that we've tried to fix, that we've tried to cure, and it just keeps getting worse? In 2 Corinthians 7, 10, it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. There is a godly grief that should take place when you sin. There is a weight and a heaviness that you should understand when you sin. I heard it put this way, as a believer, you should sin less and hate sin more. And this wasn't something I was able to grasp at a younger age, and I wish I would have been able to. But as we grow closer to Christ, we should hate sin. So when you fall into sin, yes, it's been forgiven, but what are you after? Are you after just being forgiven, after just, after just having a clean slate? Or are you after having a heart that is molded and shaped by God? That's why this, this chapter is not... Please forgive me, God. It's created a new heart in me, God. Because David is not after just clean slates. He's after a heart that is after God's. That's why he was called a man after God's own heart. He longed to have a pure heart. When I was in high school, uh, I, I saw my life kind of spiral into something similar to David's. Definitely not, definitely not that similar. Um, I did not kill anyone. Uh, I can promise you that. Um, but I did find myself in a situation uh, where the temptations of this world got to me. And up until this point, like David, I had a pretty clear slate. I was a good kid. I was raised in a pastor's household. And when the right time came, I mean, I fell. And not only did I fall, when I fell, I tried to fix it. I tried to tell myself things. I tried to uh, surround myself with people that wouldn't point to the fact um, that I was doing wrong. I didn't have any Nathans in my life. 
I didn't have anyone that was going to correct me for the things that I had done. And I did that intentionally. And every time that I thought in my head I was curing my problem, I was, I was alleviating the pain, it only got worse. And I fell and I fell and I fell and eventually I hit rock bottom. And it was at rock bottom that I read this chapter in Psalm 51 and I wept because I knew that this whole time, all God desired was what? Verse 6, truth in the inward being. God just wanted me to be honest with him. You cannot hide your sin from God. And we learn that through David when Nathan says, hey, David, by the way, God knows about your sin. David was so furious at the story that Nathan told him about a rich man with many cattle and many lamb and a poor man with one. And Nathan said, yeah, in the story, the rich man needs to feed his guests, so he kills the poor man's one. And David is enraged, and he's like, that man deserves to die. And Nathan says, you are that man. And I look at my life in that, in that time, and if you would have told me someone did the same thing as me, I would have said, that's terrible. They don't know God. But when I looked in the mirror, that's where I was at. All God is after is truth in the inward being. He wants our honesty. Verse 7, uh, it continues with saying, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create a clean heart in me, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So God is acknowledged by David at the beginning of the psalm. Then David acknowledges his own broken, sinful nature. And then finally, he acknowledges what a loving and merciful God provides to his children. A broken sinner like me, like you, like David. He asks God to create a clean heart in him and renew a right spirit. And the reason David asked this is not just to sound right or to do the right thing, but it was because he genuinely desired that. And I think a lot of the times when we sin, we go before God and we ask God, God, please forgive us. You know, please, please clean, clean us from our sin. Wipe us from our transgressions. But what are you doing behind that? Why do you want that? Do you want to be clean? Do you want a clean heart? Do you want a heart that is after God's own heart? Do you want that? And I think this is what Psalm 51 is prompting to believers. It's what do you want? Do you want to just be forgiven or do you want more? Do you want to exceed that and, and follow Christ and be more like Christ? Because we cannot create a clean heart. We cannot create a new heart. We cannot create a, a right spirit within us. And I'm 22 years old and I know that now, Right? And so I know a lot of you guys know that much more than me, that we cannot create a clean heart in us. We cannot do it. And it's until that moment where we can let go and say, God, I'm broken. I am a broken person. I've done a broken thing. And God, I need you to now intervene in my life. Is your sin something that really gets to you. You feel the weight of it. Not because you don't think you're forgiven, but because you know God has called you to be something so much more. 
David is not broken, haunted by his sin because he thinks he's not forgiven. He's broken and haunted by it because he knows that there is a God that is creating a new heart and he's went astray. I don't want to, to end our time today in a little bit and, and have you walk out feeling defeated. That's not, that's not the whole story of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus has come and he's died and resurrected and conquered death and sin. He's conquered those things. I'm not saying that he, he hasn't. I'm saying that just because he has conquered those things does not mean that we can become too comfortable with those things. David is so aware of the weight of his sin. We need to understand what God is after. What is God after? One, uh, you skip down a little bit to verse 16 if you're still reading. And he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What is God after? He doesn't delight in sacrifice or else I would give it. David is aware, even in those times before Jesus, when burnt offerings were accepted, he says, you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now I know this better than anyone being in a pastor's home, right? That like David, there is an image that I had to bear as a pastor's kid. And there were so many times where I would run from the truth. I would hide the truth of my brokenness and my sin. Why? Because I wanted to be something. I wanted to hold a certain view from people. And David is saying the only sacrifice God desires from us is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And what? He will not despise it. And I wonder how many of us are walking in the church this morning, putting on the smile, putting on the, the everything is great, when the greeters say, hey, how are you? And you say, good. Are things good? Are things good? When you're in worship and you're singing praises to God, are you tiptoeing around the reality that there is a brokenness within you that is eating you? Like David said, it's haunting you day and night. Is that in your life right now, but instead of bringing that reality to God, you're running away from it, trying to fix things yourself. I know this is a reality. We all know this is a reality because 1 John chapter 1, we all have sin. To say we don't is to deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. We know that we have sin. But the difference maker is, are you honest? Are you transparent with who you are? Step one of David's prayer of, of acknowledging who God is. Some of us can do that. Some of us can go before God and, and just sit in the presence of him and, and acknowledge his mercy and his love. But then the second part where David is real, he's honest about himself. I think a lot of us struggle with that part. Uh, a lot of us think we're a lot better than we are, right? We look in the mirror and we're like, I like that, you know? I, I think God did a good job on that. And he did, but you have to acknowledge the fact that we're all broken. And the, the beautiful thing about this is that we know God does not despise that. There may be people in the, in the church world that they judge you, they condemn you for being honest, for being 
real about your sin, your sinful ways. There may be people that do that, and I've seen a lot of people do that in my life. But the most important thing is it says God will not despise that. That's what God's after is a broken and contrite heart. And for you to sit here and pretend you're anything other than that is just you lying to yourself. It's you deceiving yourself. We've all been forgiven of our sins. We don't need to bear that weight anymore. But some of us, like David, before he was approached by Nathan, Nathan, David was just trying to figure it out. And in that time, it says that his, his bones were broken. In Psalm 32, David says that when he was silent about his sin, his bones washed away. David was agonizing in the effects of his sin, in the reality of his sin, all because he was afraid to give it to God and be honest about who he was. Later in Psalm 32, he then says that he acknowledged his sin, he didn't cover his iniquity, he confessed his sins, and what? He was forgiven. We have a God that not only wants our broken and contrite heart as a sacrifice, but we have a God that when we present that broken and contrite heart, he will create something new in us. And that is the good news that is presented in Psalm 51. We know that Jesus has died and resurrected. We know this. But what we don't talk about is the fact that we have a God that is longing to make something new in us. If, if this whole time in our Christian walk, we're told and we're promised through Scripture that transformation of the Holy Spirit will bring us to be more like Christ, but yet at the same time we're not growing, that's a contradiction. There should be growth, and part of growth is you being honest about yourself. For those of you in this room that are more seasoned, and you've had this experience and wisdom of life, the task that you have is to teach younger people how to be honest, how to be vulnerable. People like me, how can you find those younger people and let them in on the fact that their brokenness and, and their brevity of their sin is human nature? That they, the only way that they're going to be free from that is to bring it to God. Are, are you doing that? Are you letting them in on that? And do you believe that? Uh, a pastor that uh, is very near and dear to my heart, he always says this, and I think it's so wise. He says to be 99% known is to be unknown. And I think when it comes to confessing your sin to God, to, to letting everything that is going on within you be presented to God, it also needs to be brought in with another person. David's was Nathan, not by his choice, but it was Nathan. David had somebody that could keep him accountable and say, hey, you're out of line. To be 99% known is to be unknown. Is there a part of you that you are hiding, that you are covering, also that you can uphold this godly image or godly character or figure? Because it's not worth it at the end of the day. You looking like a good Christian is not worth it. There's so many things that I know we are holding on to that we have to let go of. In 1 John 1, if we were to rephrase that verse, if we were to say that if we are to say we are with sin, then we are honest about ourselves and the truth is in us. Can we be a, a church? Can we be a, a body of Christ that is honest about our sinful nature and not only honest about it, but we believe that God is creating something new in us? Because the world is watching. I mean, we've, we know what's been going on with, with all the uh, political 
topics in the last week. I'm telling you, I've already gotten so many texts and, and emails, but the world is watching us now, more, more than ever probably. And they're watching to see, is this true? Is so-and-so really being changed by the Holy Spirit? Are they being brought to a place that is closer, more knit together with Christ? Because the only way you're going to get there is by presenting your broken and contrite self to God. I, uh, I want to invite uh, the worship team back up as we're uh, going to close in uh, some worship. But in this time of worship, my prayer is that you can reflect and ask God, what areas in my life have I hid the truth from you? What areas in my life do you know about that maybe I just have not been transparent? Because much like the story of David, God knew the whole time. David was running from God. He was hiding the truth from God. But yet the whole time, God knew. And we don't want to get to a point where we are presenting a false version of ourselves to God. This is a prayer for God to create a new heart in you. It's not just asking for forgiveness. It's believing that God can make something new out of your brokenness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving us uh, David's testimony. Thank you for showing us ways in which we can come to you with our brokenness and our, our selfishness and our deceitfulness about our true nature. God, I thank you that you are a loving and merciful God. I thank you that your character is unchangeable. I thank you that no matter what stage of life, no matter where we're at, that you still love us and you cast mercy on us the same. God, we're so unworthy to be used by you, to have our hearts changed by you, God, to see things more rightly like you do. God, we're so unworthy, but yet you still love and do all of those things. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in this church. God, I pray that every believer in this church would pursue you above all else and that there would be a level of openness and honesty, not just to you, but to each other, that we can put away the facade of, a good Christian or the facade of a, a good righteous person, that we can all put that away and we can truly be honest with each other, God, and confess to one another where we have gone wrong and that together we can encourage each other and pursue you rightly. We love you, God. We pray that this time of worship would be honorable and, and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.